to episode 197 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 26th of September 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. Let's get straight on with our discoveries. Phelan, the CIA has a podcast? Yes, it does, and it listens to you, because they said it at the end, and it scared me. <laughs> you actually listened to this? I did actually genuinely listen to it, yeah. <laughs> I'd seen it was a thing and just thought, nah, fuck listening to that, man. Well, I was gonna, and then I thought, what? there's no way I'm fucking connecting to a server in Langley, Virginia. They can fuck right <laughs> off. But then it does appear to be going through the various uh, different companies, you know, like, oh, God, I can't remember the name of them all. But They're various proxies, you mean. <laughs> various proxies, yes. But do you know what I was impressed by? They have an RSS feed, so I think that needs to be given oh, a hand of round of applause. They know you. It's a proper fucking <laughs> podcast, not this bullshit of, oh, download our fucking CIA app. App, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to lure you in with a proper RSS feed and then uh, make it a really good show. And then it's like, oh no, now it's exclusive to our app. And then you have to install that and give it root. It's when it's like that fucking Michael Douglas film, the game, uh, and it starts talking directly at me and I'm shitting myself <laughs> in the middle of a field surrounded by nothing. It's like, oh God. What was it actually about then? This one was just the intro one. That's the only one they've really got out now. And it was the director talking about how they have to kind of sort of promote what they're doing. There's all that misinformation and distrust of governments and stuff. So they're going to kind of, within reason and without breaking any laws, talk about some of the stuff they do. So, I mean, I am just in for that wild ride to see what that is all about. So we'll see. If I go missing or sound different next time, you'll know what happened. <laughs> a new tie, I am bearing. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just giving me a different accent. <laughs> I saw an article on the BBC News website yesterday, I think, about a CIA museum. Um, if you haven't read it, go look it out. There's some interesting exhibits they've got there. Stuff like that is cool, because the real ingenuity of governments when they're trying to get one up on the other one, it's, uh, it's quite cool to see all that type of stuff. Well... The only things I know about the CIA I learned from American Dad. <laughs> and I don't think that's particularly accurate. Jean-Luc Picard is like the boss. That's all I know. All right, Will, the fuck? You know how when you do something like apt get update and you mistype something and it says, did you mean apt get update? And you say, yes, of course I meant. If you knew it, why didn't you just do it for me anyway? <laughs> well, that's where the oh, fuck comes in. This sounds like the best thing ever. <laughs> you run these commands and it's got a whole load of, uh, I don't know what it calls them, but uh, plugins, rules that it that it can know about. So it doesn't just work with apt. It works with, oh, I don't know, there, there must be hundreds of these um, plugins, like uh, one for pip and um, one for make directory and, and so on and so on. So you run your command and you foul it up and you want to rerun the command, but with it just working like it told you it should do, you type in fuck and it does it and then it just works. Yeah, there's a handy uh, terminal recording of it. What was the, the application to do that again? I've forgotten now. ASCII Cinema, I think it's called. Was it something like that? ASCII Cinema, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I should do this. It's also packaged as a deb in, uh, in Ubuntu already, so you can just apt install it if you can type it properly. All right, nice. <laughs> the amount of times. Yeah. Like, it should just fucking know. I mean, all this AI bullshit for art. Fucking just fix my typos. <laughs> That's what I want. Oh, would you trust it, Phelan? <laughs> uh, you make a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I do worry that, like, what if I really fucked up a typo mm. and it was, you know, is it going to, like, <laughs> do something catastrophic? 
I think it has to be a pretty close match. Like it has to be good enough that um, the normal command not found command will uh, will know what the answer is. So I, th- I think you're relatively safe, but it's a genuine concern. And it looks like there's a delay. I've not used it natively, but you've got a chance to cancel. Yeah, and I I, I think it sends stuff off to the CIA. I mean, just up to server <laughs> somewhere. And there there is talk of a a quick version, uh, which which perhaps doesn't do that, but isn't so smart. So I think um, I think you can speed that up if you want to, if you're feeling lucky. I think I'd trust it more if it was called unfuck. <laughs> because it just sounds like asking for trouble. <laughs> Do you know that package? I can't actually remember the name of the package that does it, but it, it does things for general typos. Like instead of LS, you type in SL and a steam train in ASCII art comes yeah. across the console. Steam locomotive, yeah. Aye, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one that like, oh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it does a proper like RM dash RF star. Oh, yeah. If you get anything wrong, is it not Russian Roulette OS or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think it is a specific distro for it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True story, I did that at the weekend uh, on a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> How? So what I was doing is trying to back up some files, and in order to do that, I wanted to copy a load of stuff into a subdirectory in temp and then tar it up and then zip it up and then upload it to S3. And before I started copying files, I wanted to empty the subdirectory. So I did rm-rf and then dollar sign, open curly brackets, temp directory location, close curly brackets, slash star, except I typoed the variable, (laughs) which then evaluated to an empty string. So what it actually did was (laughs) rm-rf slash star. Now, I did it as a normal user, but I still hosed the system. It took me a while to get it fixed. Uh, well, hey, look, you're in great pro- uh, in great company here because I think the Steam guys did that back in the day as well. <laughs> Whenever you tried to remove the Steam client, oh, it right. wiped everything out. It did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How long did it take you to unfuck it then? Well, because I ran it as a normal user, it was okay. As soon as I saw stuff scrolling up the screen, I realised what I'd done. <laughs> Control-C, Control-C. Yeah, so I cancelled that pretty pretty quickly. But what it had done is somehow deleted slash bin. Oh. And this is on a Raspberry Pi. Now, I don't know how it came to delete that directory as a normal user because that shouldn't be allowed, but it did. So probably I broke something or there's a glaring bug in Raspbian, but I doubt that. Um so it had removed bin, and it took me a little while, but I eventually realized that slash bin is actually a symlink to slash user slash bin. So when I recreated that symlink, suddenly everything started working again. So it wasn't too bad, but it could have been a lot worse. We should do um, a podcast conversation where we talk about our biggest disasters, actually. That'd be funny. <laughs> no, I've got it a wouldn't few. be funny. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be traumatic. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, that is the next Linux After Dark, which has, I lose track of time. It's It's been recorded, so I, I don't know. It's either come out recently or it's coming out soon. And we talked about this very thing. But yeah, no reason we couldn't do it here as well. Phelan, you've been using OpenSense. Yeah, I have. I had a PFSense box here. It's a custom router board from PC Engines. And I had for a long time used PFSense on it. And... I don't know. All they're messing in the uh, sort of the minute when OpenSense started, their CEO was acting real weird and stuff. So I thought it was well dodgy and I wanted to get away from it for a very long time. And only during the summer did I finally get around to that. And yeah, it's quite cool. So if you have PFSense, 
switched to it. It's a it's a nicer interface, I find, and at least it's a proper community supporter. And there's no crackbots in charge of the company. <laughs> the WireGuard doesn't work in it still, and I had to force it into my own workstation. But anyway, less about that, the better. It is a community plugin. But anyway, <laughs> I blame FreeBSD underneath. I should have gone with Linux. My mistake. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Tailscale. Go to tailscale.com. Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com and try it for free on up to 20 devices. That's tailscale.com. All right, Graham, what is sample brain? Well, I have you to thank for this. I hadn't scoured my usual synth RSS feeds um, this morning um, and where it had become big news. You sent me the link to sample brain, which is a QT app, a cute app written in part or conceptualized by the Aphex Twin which is a huge deal if you're into electronic music. Um, the Aphex Twin has been working since like the late 80s, early 90s, basically a genre-defining artist that creates all kinds of glitchy and difficult to listen to music, while at the same time writing some really beautiful melodic pieces and piano pieces. Yeah, and some pop hits like Milkman, which is uh, strongly recommended. But a lot of the stuff that he does, I would kind of classify as glitchy noise electronicus especially the live stuff which he so a lot of his live stuff now is mostly kind of djing through effects pedals and through his own kind of racks of equipment and it seems his own software and sample brain is in kind of synth terms it's like um it loads a folder of samples of short sounds if you want them it works better with short sounds and it creates a kind of cloud from those sounds and then you load another piece of audio, a loop, say, a loop it works well with, and it'll deconstruct the loop. It'll break it into tiny little grains, they call them, and you can adjust lots of different parameters about those grains. And it'll try and match those grains up with the folder of samples that you've got and try and play them back. Um, it sounds absolutely nothing like anything apart from maybe a broken CD player or a broken DAC. So it doesn't really matter what it's actually doing in the background. I was going to try, it's, I haven't got anything set up because it just makes it really difficult, but I have played around with it with some of my own audio files. I might even, I've got my speakers on, but I can't talk over the top of it. Hold on, let me see if you can hear this. Okay, that's the sound before it goes into um, Sample Brain. And then... I'll play it in Sample Brain. Now I'll, I'll start playing with some parameters and it just immediately sounds very Apex Twin like.
you into the Apex Twin. That's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I played with this briefly, and uh, it just went, and I just couldn't make anything good out of it. But uh, I didn't spend much time with it. I think that's what it's meant to do. I mean, the, I went to a gig a few years ago. I think I talked about it here because all the all the visualization code was released on GitHub. It was Field Day. If you watch the last ten minutes of the Aphex Twins gig on Field Day, it sounds exactly like that. <laughs> and I wanted to mention something kind of closely related to this. He seems to have developed this with somebody called Dave Griffiths a few years ago, and I would guess that he stopped developing it because there's a Eurorack module that's purely open source, which is why I wanted to mention it, called Mutable Instruments Clouds. And it's got a very similar granular regeneration algorithm. It sounds almost the same. And I was certain he was using Clouds at field day. Clouds itself is a brilliant company that releases all the code for all the firmware and the hardware is open source. And as a result, you get that firmware in like VCV rack and re-implemented on lots of different open source synths. So you can find clouds and lots of different software on, on your Linux desktop to get the same effect. And it's a little bit more musical, I would say, as well than the Aphex Twins version. Phelan, you've got a bonus one. HTTM. <laughs> this is apparently a reference to a film I've not seen, Hot Tub Time Machine. Ah. So it's a... A nicer way of both taking snapshots, if you are not using something like Sanoid, I swear, Jim, please keep updating it, and I will not ever talk about anything other than Sanoid because it's brilliant. But if you want to look at your snapshots, what versions of a file are available, it gives you a very nice, well, not graphical, but TUI, is that what we're calling it, where it's a, a text-based GUI way of seeing it, and it'll allow you to a pass on, say, a directory, see what files are available there, or show you all the versions of a file that are available in snapshots. I think it's quite good if it's in something like your home folder or something that's unstructured. I don't personally use it for my home folder. I just have a standard home folder that I back up with Borg. But it's very useful for things like server backups and stuff like that that I drop into various data sets on uh, ZFS. But this also supports Butterfest too. And uh, it's a nice way of browsing your way around the snapshots. But use Sanoid. And Jim, please please update Sanoid because there's a few weird bugs come up. Anyway. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, don't say that. It'll uh, start a massive long tweet thread about it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, I've been playing with Ventoy and people have wanted us to talk about this for ages. This is a piece of software that allows you to provision a USB stick, for want of a better word, and then you've got a partition that you can copy ISOs onto as many as you want, as many as you can fit, along with any other files that you want as well. And then you can boot from any of those ISOs. It just gives you like a little grub style menu. On the surface of things, it seems like you will never ever DD an ISO again, because you will just set up a USB stick with Ventoy, and then that'll be just it, the ultimate solution for booting stuff. And people rave about this, and they wanted us to talk about it when we used to do the Wheel of Mare. And it is absolutely great almost all of the time. I think, Phelan, you've used this as well, haven't you? Yeah, so when I, if I go to client site, I might have to bring several versions of Ubuntu server with me. Uh, I might need Red Hat or CentOS, or I might even have Neon for a desktop machine if I have to redo my laptop or whatever. And I have literally got a... I bought a, like a set of coloured, like obnoxiously coloured 
uh, USB sticks that no one would nick in their right mind <laughs> that I've installed it onto. So I can just take it to a data center or to a comms room or whatever and just throw it in. And then I've got all the dis- distro versions I need, even multiple versions of like a LTS release where you might have an issue with a point release and you want to replicate that issue and stuff. It's so handy and it's so nice. The hardest part of Vento I found was the fact that it was too easy to set up and I didn't understand how to get the ISO on there when all it turns out is you just drop it in a directory essentially when you mount it. Yeah, we're setting it up the Linux way. I mean, there's various GUI ways. There's a web installation and I didn't do any of that. I just ran the script and just told it SDB or whatever, SDA, and then just did its thing. And then a couple of seconds later, it was ready to start copying ISOs onto. And the use case you've suggested there, like multiple point releases and like you say, CentOS and, you know, you might even have a Fedora or Arch or whatever, that all works perfectly. But then occasionally you'll get a weird distro that it just won't work with, like Slacks, for example. I was trying to boot that and it just wasn't having it. I mean, it even works with Windows, Presumably you've never tried that failing. I haven't actually. No, I didn't even realize it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My understanding, I think I've booted it once or something. But yes, yeah, some Windows ISOs will work with it. I have one Windows VM and it is never getting broken ever again. It just gets snapshot. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, just the odd weird distro means that then you just have to DD it and then you've just lost all your ISOs and you have to copy them again or you have to use a different USB stick, but then you have to find a different USB stick. So... You know, there's that small caveat with it, but otherwise, yeah, it is an absolutely essential tool, I would say. But that said, I often just forget, stick it in DD, and it's like, oh, fuck. I have to (laughs) set it all up again. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, It's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux After Dark, and Linux Downtime. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. The Document Foundation have released LibreOffice on Apple's Mac Store, and they're charging money for it. Good for them. Good for them indeed. That's why I wanted to talk about this, because some people might say, oh, this is terrible, you can just download it for free. Well, they've kept it as a free download on their website. And in fact, they say that is their recommended way to get it. But if you want to get it from the Apple App Store on your Mac, then you got to pay a convenience fee. They have to pay to bloody put it in there in the first place. And it's only nine euros, which is really not very much. It's now 35 pounds, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's not a good situation when your currency is acting like a shit coin. <laughs> 
I'm no, but I, I mean, I agree with Will and Joe. I think it is a good thing. Also, there's a certain kind of Apple or Mac mentality that I think will respect them for charging for it and actually buy into it more than they might do if it was just another free download, which they may be suspicious of. Yeah, I absolutely agree with my limited experience of using a Mac for a couple of years that you would just, or rather it was expected that you would pay for every single application that you were using, no matter how small or what a stupid bug it fixed, you still expected to pay for it. I think that this fits into the ecosystem very well. People will comprehend that they're buying a piece of software. And what a brilliant way to support open source. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think it's a good idea. I mean, if that's what it takes to get popular on that system, then yeah, I don't see why they shouldn't be compensated. I mean, I pay for KDE software, so I don't see why they shouldn't pay for LibreOffice. It's a damn sight better than most of the applications I better are on the App Store to start with. Well, I think more open source projects should do this. They should be more brazen about making money. Much like with the uh, elementary OS app center, I think it's called, where that's uh, pay what you can. I think people should be encouraged to pay for stuff. And I think they've, they've made the really good decision of keeping it free as in beer on their website so that no one can moan, can they? So well done, the Document Foundation. You'll have to give... Uh, Mike a pat on the back next time you see him going. <laughs> we should get him on. <laughs> yeah. Let's do some feedback then. So Jim wrote in about open source AI. He said, open source AI cannot be a thing because there is no source to share. The inside of a trained neural network is a chaotic mess, worse even than raw machine language. Machine language can be disassembled into opcodes, which in turn can be stepped through one by one to follow the logic. But if you dissect a trained neural network, you don't have a logical orderly stepwise procedure. You've got an illogical bloody mess. I'm sure you already know that neural networks are trained, not programmed, and that's the whole point of them. But this also means they're inherently extra chaotic because the number of layers is already fixed before training ever begins. As a result, you're likely to have layers fighting each other to produce no-op results, even in a really well-trained and relatively efficient neural network. It won't always be the same layers either, and it won't always trigger the same way, since the actual path the input takes through the layers is different from different input values. So you can freely share a trained model, but there is no source. The original producer of the trained model doesn't have any source to share, in the sense that we're accustomed to thinking of it. So it probably shouldn't be much of a surprise that our beloved FOSS paradigm, which depends entirely on the concept of legible, iterable, carefully engineered symbolic logic, doesn't really work with a technology that has none of those things in the first place. I think we touched on this. We didn't go too deeply in it. I think we all mostly understand the ramifications and the, how ill-prepared open source licenses are, or completely not prepared. Then they weren't built for this purpose whatsoever in terms of sharing models and even the source of models, which maybe can never be recreated. But I personally would love to see at least a way of rebuilding models or at least a descriptive way of describing what the source for a model was um, so that people can more easily build their own models and perhaps replace models or study how models were built. Um, it would be great to see that enshrined in some kind of license. But the point that he's making is that reproducibility is something that we will just never have with AI just because of the nature of how it works. And that's something that we've worked towards in open source to ensure that the binaries that we are getting are genuinely from 
the source code that it was supposed to be. And, and that just cannot happen. Even if it was totally open source, no two people running the same AI system are going to get the same results. But I also suspect, with my kind of sci-fi hat on, that in the future, applications will change kind of like real-time recompiling, but with an AI model in there, change their functionality based on how you're using it. Which So it, it can't be rebuilt. Really, is this where we're basing a test case on what an AI is telling us? So you have the likes of Clear AI or many of those companies that are around that based on a set of circumstances and a facial footprint, you know, this is the person that we think it is involved in this crime or whatever. And you have to then say, you know, how can we trust systems like that in a decision where it has actual real ramifications? It's all well and good for an art-based thing or something like that, where we can argue about that as much as we want. But if you're saying why somebody was picked out of a lineup for something or things like that, it's really a questionable area. And it'd be great to be able to rebuild as many parts of that as we is. But if there's that sort of unknown bit in the middle that you can't question somebody about, it, it's it's a very strange future we have ahead of us. I wonder if there will need to be some way of auditing exactly how models are built. I mean, even if you have exactly the same data sets that were used, the way that those processes intermingle with one another to create the model probably can't be easily predictable without intense re-engineering. I don't know. I don't know enough about AI. But it should be, I feel. There should be some way of reproducing a model and then reproducing from the same seed the output. Yeah, I mean, it seems very strange that we're, you know, we have a lot of the rules where there's this AI sort of blanket case where they can say, oh, yeah, it can learn by looking at various, like, closed works, like with the code that GitHub uh, uh, Copilot has worked on, or even all the artwork that the likes of the various DALI type things have, have built their sort of learning on. And the fact that that is all closed and it shouldn't be, and that sort of gets an exception. It's strange that we allow that to happen, but if you were to copy and rip off like an album art of a of a band, it definitely wouldn't be allowed. You know, it's it's a strange place we find ourselves in, I think. Okay, Mike says, I recently listened to the episode where Phelim had a discovery of TTS for, well, TTS. I wondered if he's tried Mimic 3. It's an open source and privacy-focused text-to-speech engine. It's an easy install from the Git repo, or there's a deb you can use. It can also be called as a library with Python if you'd like to have your code talk to you. I found the voices for Mimic 3 are good and don't sound as robotic as most other TTS engines. It can be called over a network if you'd like to have a beefy central system to run it, or it'll run on hardware as light as a Pi 4 without strain. Also, not for nothing, the default voice is a familiar one. This is the Minecraft one, isn't it? With Popey. Ah, no, I hadn't heard of it and I hadn't used it, so... That's interesting. Yeah, there's a video showing the generations of it with the old, like, what are beans generation that was shit <laughs> that didn't sound anything like him. And now it fucking sounds like him, man. I mean, it's, you can tell it's a TTS, obviously, but it sounds a lot more like him than it ever did. Oh, wow. That is disturbing on all sorts of levels. Mm. No, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to get try it out and uh, I shall report back. Well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when... It might be news, it might be anything, who knows. The pound might be completely worthless by then, who knows where we'll be. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Art. <laughs> I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.